Chapter 16 of The City of Fire by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Though Mark had scarcely slept at all the night before, he was on hand long before the city-bred youth was awake, taking apart the big machine that stood in front of the parsonage. Like a skillful physician, he tested its various valves and compartments, went over its engine carefully, and came at last to the seat of the trouble which the minister had diagnosed the night before. Lynn, with dark circles under her eyes, had wakened early and slipped down to the kitchen to help her mother and the little maid-of-all-work who lived down the street and was a member of the Sunday school and an important part of the family. It was Naomi who discovered the young mechanic at the front door. There was not much that Naomi did not see. She announced his presence to Marilyn as she was filling the salt cellars for breakfast. Marilyn looked up startled and met her mother's eyes full of comfort and reassurance. Somehow, when Mark came quietly about in that helpful way of his, it was impossible not to have the old confidence in him, the old assurance that all would soon be right, the old explanation that Mark was always doing something quietly for others and never taking care for himself. Marilyn let her lips relax into a smile and went about less heavy of heart. Surely, surely, somehow, Mark would clear himself of these awful things that were being said about him. Surely the day would bring forth a revelation. And Mark's action last night when he refused to speak with her, refused to let her touch his arm, and called himself unworthy, was all for her sake. All because he did not want her name sullied with a breath of the scandal that belonged to him. Mark would be that way. He would protect her always, even though he did not belong to her, even though he were not her friend. She was almost cheerful again when at last the dallying guests appeared for a late breakfast. Mark was still working at the car, filing something with long, steady grinding noises. She had seen him twice from the window, but she did not venture out. Mark had not wished her to speak to him. She would not go against his wish. At least not now. Not until the guests were out of the way. That awful girl should have no further opportunity to say things to her about Mark. She would keep out of his way until they were gone. Oh, pray that the car would be fixed and they would pass on their way at once. Later, if there were opportunity, she would find a way to tell Mark that he should not refuse her friendship. What was friendship if it could not stand the strain of falsehood and gossip and even scandal if necessary? She was not ashamed to let Mark know she would be his friend forever. There was nothing unmaidenly in that. Mark would understand her. Mark had always understood her. And so she cheered her heavy heart through the breakfast hour and the foolish jesting of the two that sounded to her anxious ears in the language of scripture like the crackling of thorns under a pot. But at last they finished the breakfast and shoved their chairs back to go and look at the car. Mr. Severn and his wife had eaten long ago and gone about their early morning duties, and it had been Marilyn's duty to do the honors for the guests, so she drew a sigh of relief and, evading Laurie's proffered arm, slid into the pantry and let them go alone. But when she glanced through the dining room window a few minutes later as she passed removing the dishes from the table, she saw Mark upon his knees beside the car, looking up with his winning smile and talking to Opal, who stood close beside him all attention with her little boy attitude and a wide childlike look in her big effective eyes. Something big and terrible seemed to seize Marilyn's heart with a vice-like grip and by choking her breath in her throat. She turned quickly, gathered up her pile of dishes and hurried into the pantry, her face white and set, her eyes stinging with proud unshed tears. 
A few minutes later, dressed in brown riding clothes exquisitely tailored and a soft brown felt hat, she might have been seen hurrying through the back fence, if anybody had been looking that way, across the Joneses' lot to the little green stable that housed a riding horse that was hers to ride whenever she chose. She had left word with Naomi that she was going to economy and would be back in time for lunch, and she hoped in her heart that when she returned both of their guests would have departed. It was perhaps a bit shabby of her to leave it all on her mother this way, but mother would understand, and very likely be glad. So Lynn mounted her little brown horse, and rode by a circuitous way across the creek and out around the town to avoid passing her own home, and was presently on her way up the crossroads down which Lori Shafton had come in the dark midnight. As she crossed the highway, she noticed the detour, and paused an instant to study the peculiar sign, and the partly cleared way around. And while she stood wondering, a car came swiftly up from the economy way past the Blue Duck Tavern. The driver bowed and smiled, and she perceived it was the chief of police from Economy, a former resident of Sabbath Valley, and very much respected in the community, and with him in the front seat was another uniformed policeman. With a sudden constriction at her heart, Marilyn bowed and rode on. Was he going to Sabbath Valley? Was there truth in the rumor that Mark was in trouble? She looked back to see if he had turned down the highway, but he halted the car with its nose pointed Sabbath Valleyward and got out to examine the detour on the highway. She rode slowly and turned around several times, but as long as she was in sight, his car remained standing pointed toward the valley. End of chapter 16